So I've been thinking about what have been the most impactful events of our lives. Like what have been the events that when you look back on your life, you know that you are radically different because of that event. Some are good and some are bad, but these events have shaped us in ways that when we look back, we know we will never be the same again. And so I was thinking this week for me, what, what has been the singular event? What are one of the events that has changed my life? And so actually it'll be nine years in about 29 days. Uh, nine years ago, uh, my life was forever changed. So it was a random Wednesday and I took an afternoon off and was playing golf with some buddies. And um, I got this call from my wife that I needed to go meet her at the medical center, wherever they do sonograms. I don't know what those places are called. It wasn't a hospital, but it was something other than that. And so I, I showed up for this sonogram, and, and I probably needed a shower before I got there, but she said I didn't have time, that I was supposed to meet her there, so that meant be there. And, and a few minutes in, um, we get this news that we're supposed to wait and talk to the doctor. And um, our, my wife's doctor is like this four foot nine Filipino woman, Dr. Yalom and Chili. And this Filipino woman talked to my wife on the phone, and these two were arguing about whether Katie was going to go to the hospital to give birth or not. And Katie kept saying, I have two weeks left. I'm not ready. And the lady goes, oh, but you are. And Katie said, no, I'm not. And I said, I need a shower. Can we go tomorrow? Um, and, and the four foot nine Filipino woman won. And uh, off to the hospital we went. And, and so we got there, and we didn't plan on going. And so we hadn't really eaten anything. And so they offered Katie like half a turkey sandwich with, with like nothing on it. And that's all she could have. And so they obviously didn't give me anything. And so I, they said, well, you're on your own. I said, well, am I really? And Katie goes, well, get what you want. I don't mind. So I ordered a pizza. Um, <laughs> so I ate a pizza, but I couldn't eat a whole pizza from Papa John's by myself. So I went out and ate pizza with the nurses. And they were all laughing and talking in the hallway as my wife's prepping to give birth. Um, I started in the doghouse on our first child. Um, no, I really didn't. She was great about it. Um, I mean, she was giving birth, not me. Um, that, was, that was way bigger than my pizza. But about 4 a.m. that next day, my life was forever changed. I became a father for the first time. And see, no matter what happens the rest of my life, that moment is still real and it has shaped me and will continue to shape me into the future. And so what about you? What have been the biggest moments of your life? What have been the moments that when you look back on, they have shaped you and are continuing to shape you and they have changed who you are? Maybe it is for you a birth of a child. Maybe it's a wedding or a graduation, loss of a loved one, or maybe Tiger winning the Masters last week. I don't know. What is it the event that has radically changed your life? And so I did this Google search this week. What are the most influential events in human history? What, what are the things that have changed the world the most? And so um, if you Google it, they'll get a, a bunch of different lists, but one list from richest.com. Here is what they say are the 15 events that have changed human history the most. And I'll read them in reverse order. So 15, the Black Death from 1346 to 1353. 14, the Pax Romana from 27 BC to 180 AD. 13, the fall of Constantinople, 1453. Number 12, the U.S. Civil War, 1861 to 1865. 11, the Protestant Reformation, 1517 to 1756. Number 10, the Medical Revolution in the 19th and 20th century. Number 9, the Industrial and Technological Revolution from 1760 to 1914. Number 8, the American Revolution, 1765 to 1783. Number seven, the Gutenberg printing press in 1440. Number six, 
the Renaissance in the 14th to 17th century. Number five, colonialism from the 16th to the 20th century. Number four, World War II, 1939 to 1945. Number three, the October Revolution in Russia, 1917. Number two, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand II, 1914. Number one, the French Revolution. Now, maybe if you're a historian, you would debate that list and you would try to argue about differences, but that was the list they compiled. But I also looked at another list. Time produced a list of 100 most influential people in human history. And the number one person on that list was a guy named Jesus. And see, I would even go back and I would, I would debate and argue about what are the most influential events in human history. I would say two that were left off the list that are greater are this. One, the birth of Jesus, because every date I gave you is based off of that as a starting point. And the second thing I would say would be the resurrection of Jesus. We, what we've gathered here today for. It's a reason, it's not the birth, it's not even the death of Jesus that we gather on Sundays. It's that we believe somehow he came back to life. It's the reason we gather here every week. It's the reason that you have come today. Even if you're not sure you believe in this, it's why we're here. And so I even speak of my own life. Even though I wasn't alive 2,000 years, truly the most significant event in my life was one that happened well before I was ever born. It's the resurrection of Jesus. See, there's a little debate among historians that Jesus was a person who lived and was a part of the first century. There's really no debate at all. There is debate about whether or not he rose from the grave. There's questions that people have about that. They wonder, is it true? Could it possibly be true? But maybe these words of Timothy Keller are helpful for us today. Keller writes, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That really is the question you and I have to wrestle with. If it's true, what does that mean for my life? If that's true, then how am I called to live? See, today we're going to be looking at a book um, in the New Testament, the book of Luke. And Luke was a guy who, who was a skeptic like many of us. And so he began to research and he set about doing eyewitness accounts of those who had been impacted by Jesus before his death on the cross and even post his resurrection. And he recorded their accounts because he wasn't sure if he wanted to believe this or not. And so he did his own research. And so at the end of the day, he wrote this account so that we could begin to wrestle with whether we want to trust our life to Jesus or not. Whether who Jesus said he is is who he actually is or not. And so here's what Luke records in Luke chapter 24, the first 32 verses. We'll read it together. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. 
Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? See, I think this story is one that when we read it, we have to ask the question, is this real? It's an unbelievable story. It's a story that we find ourselves wrestling with. It's a story that if I were Luke and I were writing, I would have written it differently. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But, but Luke writes this story. And he writes it initially from the perspective of these women. Now, we don't think much about the eyewitness account of women. I mean, all the time we hear women tell us what to do or what's going on or what happened. I mean... My wife's pretty good at telling me what to do. It's kind of how this works. But in this day, women had no value. Women had no voice. Women were considered less than. It took two women to equal the voice of one man. An eyewitness account of a woman was worthless. In fact, what we'll find is in human history, before the resurrection and before the teachings of Jesus, women didn't have value. You go back and look in human history, the first person to ever begin to give value to women was Jesus. As so these women who never felt valued, never felt worth, this person who began to see something in them, to see them as they were, and to see their value, he's died. They're heartbroken, they're grieving, they're lost. And they just want to help in some way, and so they go to his, his grave. 
And they show up with the spices that were appropriate for the burial customs of their day. And, and they're going to help prepare the body for its burial, even though it's already in the grave. And so they're going to, they're not sure how they're going to roll back the tomb, but they're going to figure it out. And yet they get there and they find that this tomb that had been sealed among the outside of the tomb is not there. And, and for many of us, we go, ah, how do I believe that to be true? Well, well, maybe if nothing else, it would have done Pilate no good, the Roman governor there, and it would inherit the Jewish king no good for that stone to be removed. It would have done nothing to further their cause of trying to diminish the idea that Jesus really was the Son of God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the Jewish leaders, they would have wanted that, that stone to stay put. And the guards wouldn't have left and said, oh, don't worry, we, we, we left and the stone got removed because that would have meant probably execution for them. But in fact, what we see is the women show up and they're asked this question. I, mean, I can't imagine being them. I know it's, it's too hard to believe in some ways, but, but why are you looking for the living among the dead? Don't you remember what Jesus taught you? Don't you remember the words he spoke? Don't you remember that God said he was going to do a new thing? He was going to do something so radically other that doesn't even make sense in the world we live because it's who God is. That God is going to redeem and restore and make all things new, and that's what's happening here. And maybe, and maybe you're like me, you think, this is crazy. And these women, they run to tell the men, because what else would you do? You go tell the other people who had been followers of Jesus. And they show up and they tell them, hey, you won't believe what happened. Jesus is alive. And they go, no, no, we saw his hands nailed to the cross. We saw his feet. We saw him get pierced in the side. You don't survive that. Like, that's not what happens. I don't know if you know this. And I can just imagine the questions they ask these women. So, um, have you been drinking? How long were you in the sun yesterday? Are, are you pregnant? I mean, I can just imagine all the things they had for them. Like, what is wrong with you? You make no sense. And women swear to what they have seen and what they have heard. They become the first eyewitnesses. They become the preacher to the preachers. They become the people who tell the good news of what Jesus has done. And so here's why Luke names all these people, all these women. He names Cleopas in just a moment. Luke names them all because Luke's, Luke's point is simple. This is not a made-up story. I know it's hard to imagine, but if I was trying to lie to you, I'd use men, not women, to tell the story. But Luke doesn't. He tells the story as it is. Peter Here's this story, and he hopes. Maybe, just maybe it's true. And he runs to the tomb, and he get there, gets there, and he finds the, the, the burial cloth Jesus was wrapped in, and he, he walks away wondering what in the world this could mean. Because Peter knows he's betrayed Jesus. Peter knows also, though, that Jesus was quick to forgive. Peter also knows that Jesus changes everything. The next scene, we see these two people walking on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. It's about seven miles, and they're walking, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes along beside them. And, and this guy named Cleopas, who we didn't even know who he is, we just know he apparently made sense in the early church, and Luke wrote down his story. And they're walking with Jesus, and they don't know it's him, and, and they go, you don't know what happened in Jerusalem? Why, why are you guys sad? And then Jesus begins to open their eyes. He sees how bummed they are, and he begins to speak into their life. He, 
they had longed for, for God to do this new thing, to overthrow the Romans, to kick them out, to raise up an army, to do what every empire does, but that's not who Jesus is, because Jesus came for all people, from all nations, from all backgrounds, from all ethnicities and all colors, all genders. And he began to speak to them and said, you know, Jesus might not have just defeated the Romans, but sin and death itself. And begin to teach them what the scriptures taught. And so he says, don't you know that the entire Old Testament is all summed up in this act of Jesus? In his death and resurrection, it changes everything. Don't you know that, that what he was teaching you, what the scriptures from Moses all the way through, don't you know that over and over again, this is the hope that we have? And so Jesus tells the apostles and us that all scripture must be reinterpreted through the lens of Jesus. And it's Jesus who opens their eyes. It's Jesus who paints a new picture of who God actually is. See, one of the things that we, I probably say maybe too often, but we can say nothing about God we can't say about Jesus because Jesus is the clearest picture we have of who God actually is. And so often we have so many bad pictures of who God might be. But in Jesus, we can reimagine what the character and nature of God is like. We can reimagine what the world might be if this is true. And so the question remains, why does this matter for our lives? A couple on the road said something was burning within them. And this line has, I've wrestled with it for a couple weeks now. Something was burning within them. And see, it's this idea that maybe you and I, maybe there's things in our life we begin to recognize that, that there's something in us that desires more. There's something in us that wishes there was more purpose and more meaning and more to live for. There's something in us that desires to be connected with something other than ourselves, something beyond us, something that might even be eternal. Something that might be so real, so tangible, so beyond what we can imagine that we're not sure what to do with this. Something that in us, and there's something in us that burns, that longs, that wonders, that questions, that wrestles. Is this all there is to live for? Is this what my purpose in life is? What is it that I'm living for? What is it that matters? And what Jesus wants us to know is this, that in his life, in his death, and ultimately in his resurrection, he wants to do a new thing in and through us to redeem and restore all that's broken in the world. And he says this, we want to find life from the one who conquered even death itself, a resurrection that gives new life, a resurrection that is hope. What Jesus says to the early church is this, if you will follow me, you will find the power of my resurrection in your own life, in your own areas of brokenness. He begins to, to answer the questions of the what-ifs that we have. So what does this have to do with our lives? Luke wants us to have an encounter with Jesus, one that changes our lives. Jesus wants to be real in our lives. So what if, what if that's true? What if there is something in us that inherently desires more? What if, what if there is something that could give us life in this moment, but also in life to come? See, all throughout human history, people have always believed in eternal life of some kind, some way, shape, or form. There must be something after this, and if there is, what is it? And what if, what if somehow the resurrection of Jesus invites us to know life to its fullest? 
What if it really does bring a joy that we can't understand? What if that really is true? What if what John records in his book, in his gospel, John, who knew Jesus the best, what if he, what he records, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? What if God really does love all of humanity that much? And what if we imagine, it's not that hard to imagine, that the world's pretty broken all around us. We see evidence of, his broken, of the brokenness in the world, the bombing in Sri Lanka this morning. What if, what if in the middle of a world that's broken, God wants to redeem and restore and make all that is broken whole? What if that even begins in the very essence of our lives and our very hearts and minds and souls? And what if, what if there's something in you and I that isn't quite what it was meant to be? What is a piece of us that isn't quite right? What if there's something that we wish could be redeemed or restored? And, and see, in fact, last Sunday night, I sat through what was nearly a three-hour funeral. It's the longest funeral I've ever been to. I've been a part of, I don't know, like a hundred at this point in my life. That's a lot, I know, but it's kind of what I do for a living. Um, but this funeral was super long, and so I, I'm sitting there thinking about whoever might come this day and thinking about Sue, who were there celebrating her life, and her husband, Vince, gets up to, to speak, and Vince has prayed every single day, hours a day, for three years, that his wife, whose body was ravaged with cancer, would survive and be healed every day for three years. What Vince didn't know fully until Sue passed was every day for three years. She had written in a journal chronicling every single morning from her diagnosis because she didn't know what was going to happen. She was told six months. She made it three years. And every day she wrote in that journal and she wrote Vince several notes. She, she began each day with the same phrase over and over again in some way, shape, or form. And the phrase was basically this, God, thank you for this opportunity to serve you and to love you this day. And to Vince, she wrote numerous notes, and he read several of them to us last Sunday night. And, and a lot of them sounded like this. Vince, I know that if you're reading this, I'm not alive anymore. Because <laughs> if you're reading this and I am alive, you're in trouble. <laughs> but trust Jesus. Because every day that I woke, Vince, I live with hope. Because I can tell you the one who radically changed my life, and it's the same one that you and I know changed our marriage, it changed our whole family, it changed our future. So if you will just trust Jesus, Vince, you'll be okay. Our boys and our grandkids need you to continue to love them and love Jesus. And, and I was sitting there thinking, how could a woman who for three years prayed every day to be healed and wasn't, yet every single day she wrote over and over again that she was trusting her life, her future, her hope to this one who she believed had resurrected from the grave. And I listened to her husband who got up and said, I have half a heart today. And he said, I, I can barely breathe because I'm so lost without her. But then he went on to say to all of us who gathered at this funeral, but here's the thing, I live with a hope that it wasn't goodbye, it was I'll see you again soon. And so today, I, I was thinking all week long, if there was one thing, if I could get all of us here to come to one place together, if there was one thing I could dream for all of us, it would be this, that we would know truly the power of the resurrection of Jesus that literally can change lives. 
that changes the very essence of our hearts, that teaches us to love in ways that we have never loved before. That would take us living one way and we would radically transform our lives and live so totally opposite. And if I were to tell you stories in this room of people who would tell you about their life's radical transformation. See, nowhere does Jesus promise he'll answer every one of our prayers in the way that we hope for. Nowhere. Wouldn't be love at some level if he controlled the outcomes of every situation. But the hope of Jesus led a woman who lived only 50 years to write every single day about the hope she has. The hope of Jesus led a husband who's grieving the loss of his wife to talk about the hope that he has in the resurrected Jesus. And so my hope, my prayer, my dream is each of us would choose to follow him with our life. So in the midst of uncertainty and skepticism, we would trust Jesus with our life and our future. Because it really does change everything. And I can speak for my own life. There is no greater joy or purpose or passion than knowing and following Jesus. There's a, there's a way that people can live with joy in circumstances that make no sense. They can find hope in seasons that don't, don't merit hope. But there's a peace that really does surpass all understanding when you come to know the power of the resurrected Lord who conquered even death itself. And so as we gather on Good Friday just a couple days ago, we gathered and talked about how we're all broken and sinful and there's something in us that needs to be restored. We gathered just three days later on the Sunday to celebrate that God didn't say, oh, you guys are such a wreck. I'm going to leave you that way. He says, oh, don't you know how much I love you? I love you enough to redeem and restore all this broken. I love you enough to allow my son to choose to lay down his life for the sake of all people, to know the fullness of God's love that conquers even death itself. And so the invitation for you and I today is this. Will you believe, will you trust, will you hope, will you find your life in Jesus, even in the midst of our doubts and our questions and our wrestling? Are we willing to lay them aside and say, I don't, I don't even know why in some level, but I will trust my life and my future to Jesus. And I will find life to the fullest here and now and in the life to come. And so this morning, this morning, if you have never said yes to following Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would choose today to be the day. That it would be the event that would change your life for the future. And I get, I, I get there are doubts and there are questions and there are wrestlings. But this morning, this may be the greatest decision you ever make. It may be the decision that sets your life in a new trajectory that very much changes the very essence of your life, of your home, of your family, of your future. And I'm not saying you can't have questions and want to try to figure stuff out as you go. But what I'm saying is this, take the leap and see if it doesn't change your life. There is no greater hope, there is no greater purpose, there is no greater passion than knowing Jesus as the Lord. And so this morning, in just a few moments, we'll, we'll sing a song together, and then and there's a few people who are going to publicly demonstrate. We do this kind of weird thing in the church where we baptize people. They're, they're going to do this kind of, this act, this symbolic act of saying, hey, like, I, I'm willing to lay down who I have been because my past does not define my present and my future. 
And so they're saying, I, this future of this new life of knowing Jesus, I want it to define my life. And so they're going to publicly declare that, and we together get to affirm that. But maybe today for you, you've got a past you're wrestling with, you're not so sure about the present, but you want a better future. And so what Jesus says to us is here, I want to show you what happens when heaven breaks into the here and the now in this present life, and it will radically even change your future. As we believe this is the one decision that eternally matters for you and for me. And so just a second, I'm going to pray, and, and as I pray this morning, I want to give an invitation that, that you can, at the end of the service today, uh, Pastor Trevor and I will kind of be hanging out in this front corner, and, and if you decide that you want to follow Jesus today, we just want to talk with you for just a minute and give you a book. Before you leave, like, what's this look like? How do I do this? If I'm all in on this, if this really is real, and in 2,000 years, if we could have completely eradicated this idea of Jesus, it would have happened. But maybe today you want to trust your life and your future and believe that God really doesn't care about your past, but he does care about your present and your future. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. For the way that you come near to us, for the way today that, that you love us. And so in just in these moments, as we, as we sing some songs together, as we as we watch people give their lives publicly and confess Jesus is Lord. That you help us to recognize you are the God of second chances who is full of hope in the midst of despair. That you offer us life.